the strategy inside everything. I'm Adam Pierno. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Strategy Inside Everything. This is going to be a good and informative talk for me. I expect to learn a lot, Joe, so don't let me down here. No pressure. Awesome. Uh, I, I don't feel any pressure. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you don't sound like you do, That's which is great. Um, today's guest is uh, Joe Cole, who is a creative strategist at a unique organization called Clean Creatives. Um, and I really was interested in Clean Creatives, I think, Joe, I can't remember if I met you before or after I read some about Clean Creatives and spent some time on the site, but um, I was interested. And then we had a chance to meet uh, and do this conversation. So I've got questions. Um, so I think our audience is going to dig this a lot. So welcome to the show. Good. Thank you. I, I hope to have all the answers you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> if, if we can, I think we can talk through them together. Um, before we get going on that, would you give the audience a sense of your kind of career path and what got you to where you are now leading uh, creative strategy at uh, Clean Creatives? Yeah. Um, so I, I fell into advertising somewhat by accident. I was always obsessed with ads growing up and never really thought about the people who were making them. Uh, in college, I was a little bit of a social whiz kid. I did things with Facebook that the, the platform had no idea you could do. I, in retrospect, I probably should have dropped out of college and I'd be a billionaire now having worked at Facebook. But uh, it's fine. I ended up in advertising at some point after kind of backing my way into it and kind of fell in love immediately. I worked in advertising for about eight years uh, at six different agencies, got laid off a bunch, had some medium to, to terrible experiences with bosses or colleagues or clients. Um, and I, I didn't feel ultimately that the work I was doing was having any positive impact on the world. So when I got laid off this last summer, I, or not last summer, the summer of 2020, I decided to try to do something different, try to use my superpowers for good. Uh, ended up working in the Georgia runoff um, as a creative strategist, our organization contacted 27,000 people, most of whom had never been contacted by another organization or reached by any other political advertising. Wow. And if you paid attention to the runoff, the, the margin of victory for the Democrats was somewhat less than that. So it felt really good to be part of that. Uh, it kind of helped to crystallize the mission for me to help make the world a better place. Um, that led me in a couple of different directions. Uh, I'm also a creative uh, recruiter for We Are Rosie. And uh, before that, I, I worked with them as an editor in residence. And uh, one of the people I had write an article for us was Duncan Meisel, who's my boss over at Clean Creatives. Uh, and basically after, and, and through the process of doing that, he said, hey, I'm looking for somebody who has like a really great background in social and strategy and you know creative stuff. And I was like, well, that's that actually happens to be me. Uh, so I've been with Clean Creatives working as a creative strategist um, for the past Oh gosh, seven months now. Yeah, and but it already. When was it founded, Joe? Uh, it's just over a year. I think they just celebrated their year about a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So you so you've been there essentially the whole time. I mean, it was it was created. The idea was born, and then you were brought on. And probably, I don't I don't want to take credit away from anyone else, but I probably know about it from the efforts you've made to promote it and get it out, make it visible. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I think I, we've certainly grown in leaps and bounds since, since I've uh, started on it. I think we had less than a thousand followers on Twitter, and I think we now are pushing 
closer to 4,000. So yeah, it's, it's, it's grown quite a bit in the last few months. And let's talk about what is clean creatives. Cause I, I just realized like people listening might not know what the hell we're even talking about. So give people a, a little background on what the mission of cleancreatives.org is. Yeah. So, I mean, at its, at its center, clean creatives is attempting to get advertising agencies to stop working on fossil fuel clients. Um, in a way that kind of for for people who might be a little bit older and remember remember this, I was in grade school, so not so much me, but in a way that mirrors what the advertising industry did with uh, tobacco clients, you know, moving from the Mad Men era where tobacco clients were kind of the marquee, you know, lots of money, lots of people working on it, the best people in the building to, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000s. By then, it had, it had retreated into the shadows. Either it was moving to, you know, D tier agencies, or it was, you know, sub agencies behind, you know, closed doors and secret floors. You certainly didn't have your, you know, Don Draper, executive creative director types working on the tobacco. <laughs> yeah. I, I was uh, starting my career in that, in that time. And I remember agencies meeting people from agencies or meeting people that still worked on tobacco and experiencing, hearing them share the experience of like, well, two years ago, we were the, the biggest you know, the cock of the walk in the agency. And now we're, now I have to go down to the basement and use a key card and I can't tell anybody what I, what I work on. And man, I just, every now and then I'm just hoping to get a brief for Anheuser-Busch. So I stay there because this is, this is like a punishment. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly what we want to do with fossil fuels. We want to make it very, I mean, I, I think a lot of people nowadays, if they had the opportunity to work on a fossil fuel client, they'd probably turn it down just like they might turn down work on a tobacco client or a U.S. military um, uh, account. At least those are those are examples from my career. I've, I've turned down work in tobacco and, and to work on the U.S. Navy. But the the interesting thing with climate change is because you know I think for most of us we've grown for most people under the age of maybe you know fifty or sixty you've probably grown grown up a significant part of your life being told that smoking is bad. You've seen it on TV. There's been anti-smoking ads. Yeah. Uh, you have, you know, people who've gotten lung cancer, whatever it is, but climate change, you know, while it has been happening our entire life, it's something that's only been more recently, maybe in the last few years where it's really risen to a, you know, constantly talked about it's in the news every day. You see firsthand or experience firsthand the effects um, on the world. Um, you know, it certainly, certainly exacerbates things like pandemics, um, you know, natural things like hurricanes and horse fires. And, you know, those are, those are things that are in front page news nowadays, and it's, it's really inescapable. So we want to get people to tie that back into, you know, where they work, who they choose to work on, you know, that even if they're not working on that account at the agency, like what their agency is doing um, and, and getting people to agitate for our industry to make a change, uh, both, you know, externally, um, you know, putting pressure on the whole industry and also, you know, for the agencies, some of which are, you know, some of the top longest lasting agencies that, that have been around to, you know, get rid of their fossil fuel contracts and to find, find better ways to, um, you know, better ways to pay their workforce and, and to get creative work out there other than to greenwash uh, what these companies are doing. Yeah. So it's an interesting site that, that hosts all this content. And so the call to action is to get brands uh, individual creatives and agencies to take a pledge to say, I'm not interested in working with anything that's promoting fossil fuel industry. Um, and then there is a way you can look at who has an active contract um, from the site analytics. Do you have a sense of 
how how trafficked is that list of who has a contract versus how many people take the pledge? Are are people what how are people behaving, you know, on the site itself? And what does that tell you about their their thought yeah. process of this? Yeah, um, I, I don't have any site site analytics, but that list that you're referring to is something we actually published in a massive Twitter thread. Yes. One tweet per, I per agency relationship. Yeah. And it I mean. We've done some really fun things on Twitter this year, especially since, you know, our, our target audience is marketers, you know, you know, when we're on social media, that means not just marketers, but marketers who are paying attention and participating in social media on Twitter and Instagram. So we did, yeah, we did pretty, (laughs) pretty bonkers numbers uh, with that whole thread. I mean, it's, it's hard to say, you know, what impression of each tweet was its own impression or what was people reading multiple tweets, but certainly hundreds of thousands of impressions, if not, you know, well into the millions, you know, plus lots of earned media with press coverage. So we, we like putting on, putting information like that on the website because we want people to be able to find it and see it. Um, you know, if they're working for their current, for an agency on that list, we want people to, you know, see that because a lot of times, you know, because these uh, fossil fuel relationships aren't very well publicized, even if yeah. it's, something that you know might pay 30% of the overhead in the agency. It might not be even beyond their main page of their website. So we want to kind of like shine a light on it and put it out in the open because you know these agencies know it is kind of a, a shameful secret. You know, they're they're doing what they can to hide it or hide their relationship to it. In many cases, sometimes even going against what they've pledged not to do, you know, in press conferences or press releases. Um, or to the public, but, you know, still doing it because the money's it is there. Yeah, because they, they can make a claim that, Hey, we are, I love when agencies tell me how, um, clean they are or how green they are or how sustainable. And I'm like, what are you talking? You, you own laptops. Like, what do you mean you're sustainable? What on earth are you talking about? Um, and they always love to come out with those statements about their commitment to sustainability, but then, we we find out that they're they're working for BP and you know they're doing PR for oil spill cleanup and it's like guys this is a lie some something's these two things don't make sense together here yeah and i mean that that actually is somewhat the basis of one of our more recent campaigns we've been focusing on Edelman um they've they've been pledging for years that they're not involved with fossil fuels and they had a, a big kind of a big thing where, where some executives resigned in 2015 when they found out it's so worse. They said, okay, we're going to stop. But then we've kind of determined that they still are involved in, in a lot of ways. And uh, one of them was a, a really, a really odd thing where there was, there was an email exchange and some part of that got wrapped, um, some part of an email exchange that we weren't supposed to see got wrapped up into like the code of a website. And we were able to kind of track down their involvement through this kind of like very back channel, very accidental way. And that got a lot of coverage. And now Edelman's going through this whole thing. They had, they uh, convened a, an entire entire company um, thing where they addressed the allegations and they said they're going to do like a review of their climate policies. Um, and there's a lot of people on the interior of Edelman who are really pushing for this. Um, yeah, it's actually, they're shocking in particular because you, you, quote research from Edelman on the website about how damaging it is to morale and attract retention for employees. And they're one of the, their data points are kind of some of the basis for the proof that you make. So yeah, that was a shocking revelation. 
Yeah. And, and, the, and one, one of the things that we kind of started with was um, we pointed this out to some influencers that they had for a campaign for one of their clients at Tazo T. And we said, hey, like, you know, maybe you could, since you obviously have a working relationship with Edelman and this is important to them, you know, this work that they're doing for Tazo T, uh, maybe you could uh, point this out to them and see if they, you can get them to quit. So, yeah, we had all these all these people, these influencers reach out to them, say, hey, we'd like you to stop working in fossil fuels. Edelman basically said, we're not going to do that. Yeah, we, so, like, uh, we like money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they got, yeah, they got, a, we got a bunch of people to sign. I, I think it was like over a hundred activists and, you know, like actors and like, you know, really some really big names uh, to sign this list. You know, I think uh, David Cross signed it, Bill McKibben, uh, Ilana Glazer from Broad City, uh, Slow Factory, uh, which were um, kind of one of the original Tazo T influencers they're kind of like sustainability design educators and instagram they're doing a great job um, yeah. they've been yeah, really strong supportive of this campaign that's really cool what is the difference in approach you mentioned that you know a, a couple times you referenced that the audience for your work is marketers and people who are really active on social channels or really paying attention to the marketing industry how do you approach that differently than work that you might do for a consumer brand, you know, how do you, how do you think about that from a different perspective? Cause is it, well, tell me more. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, no, I, I um, you know, first of all, I think that there's, there's a good number of brands that are somewhat involved in that space, particularly because they might have creatives or social media people who are kind of like part of the, you know, quote unquote, ad Twitter, marketing Twitter communities. And you kind of see like a, a little bit of an overlap you see with Auntie Anne's or Sour Patch Kids. Um, Arby's. It's, it's, yeah, Arby's. You know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting to see kind of like how they they make a play for these people who are really well connected uh, within marketing, but also maybe you know, might have large followings in general. Yeah. Um, so I, I think for me as a marketer to almost exclusively target this audience, I mean, we definitely put out stuff for, um, climate activists and, you know, just people who might be generally interested in, in the topic, but our primary audience is to generally engage marketers because those are the people whose, whose minds we have to change. We have to say, okay, like it's, you know, it, you know, on one hand you have the people who are like, yep, I'm super big climate activists. I'm agitating inside the building or within the industry. Um, and then you have people on the other hand who, are, who might be like, the limit of what they really think about climate change is like, oh yeah, it's bad, but I don't really see what I'm doing or what my industry or what my work contributes to that. And we're just trying to kind of like move people from, from the left, you know, towards the right. You know, we want people to, to wake up and say like, oh yeah, like maybe I, I shouldn't um, work on this account or maybe my agency shouldn't work on this account. Maybe we shouldn't pitch on this account. Or, you know, if my agency is doing you know, everything it should be, maybe, you know, I can try to get them to make this pledge that they never will. Um, or I could, you know, make steps uh, within the industry to like, you know, make it less socially acceptable, less financially accessible, uh, acceptable for agencies to, to be part of this. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. And so this, this kind of this conversation and the the movement that you're trying to create reminds me a little bit of my conversation with Claire Atkin from Check My Ads, who um, I see you're smiling. So you're familiar with Check My Ads and what, what they're doing, I find is amazing because they took something that seemed huge and impenetrable 
and they figured out how to get it down to like, no, this is, here's the point that we can attack this problem and help solve it. And it seems like you've done a similar thing with this challenge. That's okay. Climate challenge, climate change is too big for me to deal with, especially if I'm an art director, like what, what, what do I have to do with it? And you have distilled it down to no, here's decisions you influence that could help. Um, and what I, what I would wonder is in year one, you get all those people who are already agitating inside the building. Have you seen a change now in your communication strategy or change in response now of getting the next level of people who are aware, but don't aren't engaged or you're moving down a funnel or, or is it how, where, how is the communication evolving? Yeah. I mean, th there's a few things I think, you know, despite the fact that we might, you know, we've grown say 75% in, in following, you know, you, in, in the past year, I mean, not even the past year, like the past seven months. Um, despite that fact, I still think there are a lot of people who might be on the fence or who might be, um, you know, like, oh, like maybe I wouldn't work on fossil fuels, but oh, wow, they're offering me 50% more than my current job. Maybe I would. You know, we want to, want to like make it so this isn't like a fringe topic. We want this to be first and foremost what everyone's thinking of. I mean, as climate change continues to, be a thing. Like I actually read this great quote and it stuck with me. It was on a tweet. It was people, people on the, uh, on the deck of a ferry boat in Greece, watching the fires burn and like the fluorescent lights of the ferry boat, like stood at stark contrast to like basically the hellscape, uh, you know, really right outside. And it was climate change is something that you that happens to you via screen until it happens to you in real life. Yeah. And that's increasingly what everyone's life is going to be like. It's going to be like, okay, climate change is something that happens. It's something that maybe inconveniences me because the storm's a little worse. And then all of a sudden there's a hurricane trap over my city and everything's flooded and, you know, I lost everything. So in terms of, in terms of our communication strategy, we're still trying to do these kind of attention, big attention grabby um, concepts, campaigns. Like we're, we're getting a little bit more funding, but we're still a nonprofit um, we're still, you know, I'm part-time, uh, we have one full-time employee. We, we now have a few more people who are a little bit more part-time. We're, we're actually working on a, a, a somewhat fun campaign for the spring. And we've, we, you know, paid some money to like some other groups to help us. But it, again, it's, it's still pretty small change. Like I, I've knowing the entire budget for this campaign, I've spent more on one social media post working, you know, on, on these big billion dollar companies. So it, it's still chump change comparatively. Um, but at the same time, you know, you mentioned kind of a funnel, like we are kind of trying to like funnel people in, like we want people to go from like climate change is bad, but I have a hundred other things I'm worried about to, yeah. you know, you know, other things really, most of them don't matter as much if climate change isn't solved and I have a part to play in it. Like, you know, if I have, you know, we're, we're targeting people, you know, throughout all of marketing, whether they have a hundred followers or 30,000 followers, but you know, someone who has 30,000 followers is following us, is engaging us, uh, engaging with our content, sharing our content, um, or liking it, it shows up in the algorithm and the other people's pages. It kind of gives that little bit of, um, cool kid cachet, like, okay, like the, the big, cool, smart kids in this space are doing it are caring about this. Therefore I will too. So it really has outsized effects. Um, when we reach, you know, these people in the industry who are really well connected and we are making them change or engage with us, um, it really has outside effects on, I think, the entire industry because, you know, ad and marketing Twitter are still microcosms of 
appropriate industry, but um, it's definitely my belief that a lot of the more influential people are, if not participating every day, they're at least watching and checking the feeds and kind of, you know, observing it passively because I do think that I have seen that a lot of what we do in, in our space, you know, get reflected out to the rest of the industry. Yep. And, you know, you mentioned in your introduction that you um, had medium to bad experiences at, at agencies, you know, when you're starting your career and then you segued almost right from that into like, I didn't feel like I was making a positive impact or I didn't think the work I was doing meant too much. Do you, is it what you were working on? Was it the kind of crappy, some of those crappy experiences getting laid off? Was it just, you know, you didn't get lucky and win the the manager lottery where you had a CD or somebody that was really nurturing or did you just work on stuff that you just didn't value or, or what do you think led you to that that discovery about your own outlook? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly, D all of the above. Um, <laughs> I've, sounds right. I, I've had some, yeah, I've had like, I've alternated a couple experiences where I've had manager carousels, you know, like four different managers over the course of the year. And, you know, I've had instances where I was the only person in the entire company with my job title. Yeah, especially like in the early days of social where, you know, I'd be like, okay, I'm the only person, not only in the office, but in the entire company with this job title, bosses that didn't understand social. Um, like memorably, I remember there was um, at one agency, my boss, who again, didn't understand social. She was like, I don't understand why it takes you more than 10 minutes to post this. And I was like, well, I'm posting for two different brands, essentially the same it. message, but across like six different platforms and like, you know, it's like lots of logging in, out, copy, pasting, moving from one screen to the other. I'm like, I'm moving as fast as I can, but like, that's, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of work, like to do it right. That's not, you know, it's not like something. And then she's like, well, why are you on your phone and your computer during the meetings? It's like, well, because I'm literally, I have to post this. Like, <laughs> so it's just like, just like really, yeah. It, really rudimentary. Like, yeah. let me explain. So there's these wires, you see, and the, <laughs> they connect and then that's the information superhighway. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, but, and then like lots, I mean, you know, for, for better, or for worse, I, I've worked on a lot of stuff as a strategist, as a creative strategist, as a social strategist that just hasn't seen the light of day. And, you know, I know that that's our kind of our, our industry. Like I saw somebody say this yesterday, you know, as creatives, as strategists, like our job is to do for one particular piece of the puzzle, but we're not necessarily always, you know, not every idea is going to get produced. And oh, it's come on. It's totally, I mean, totally I, I, when I was from my time as a creative, I would say about 90% of what I produced dies. And, and right. I never was, I was never okay with it. I just pretended I was right. And, you know, same, but I think, I think for me, it was maybe closer sometimes to 99%. Like some of the best work I did wasn't like reports that only like the client read or in email chains. Like one time, without getting too much into the specifics, I caught basically a Russian bot army invading our. Um, invading our channels. And I got to write up these really fun reports, you know, drawing on like social political history type stuff. It was really cool. But like, again, no one, no one ever saw that. Yeah. Um, and it's not a, part of, it wasn't part of your job description. None of those things you didn't have, like, nobody expected you to be able to be an expert on that. Right? No, and I, you know, I, and I, I knew a lot of stuff. So it was fun. Uh, there was another thing. I, it was probably the biggest campaign I've ever worked on in my career is a million dollar influencer buy. And I worked on it for, from, in, in some capacity for 
nine months. It was supposed to launch in November of one year. And when I got laid off the following March, it still hadn't launched. Uh-huh. And it was just like, yeah, just disheartening. Like, you know, not, it's like, okay, if you're having all these like bad experiences in one way or another, and then like the work you're, the work you're working on, like doesn't really go anywhere either. And then at the end of the day, you're like, okay, well, this company is just a billion dollar, you know, company or conglomerate, and they're not really doing anything to make the world better. There just wasn't a lot of wins to really grasp onto. And then I worked in the Georgia runoff and, you know, that was just so exciting to be part of that, to working with a team of like 150 volunteers um, from across the nation, most of whom had, had never met in person. Yeah. And seeing a real impact. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I get it. Um, so you mentioned We Are Rosie, and I know you you have been a creative strategist. You have been on the creative side, but now you recruit. So I'm wondering how you use those insights about all the creatives you've talked to in that part of your work, how you, you know, drag, drag insights that you gather there and apply them over here. Totally. Um, I mean, like, just in general, I think for coming from advertising, the reason I, this is my first recruiting job. The, the reason I thought I might be pretty good at recruiting is because I've, I've worn a lot of hats uh, in my roles. You know, I've been my own account manager. I've been my own creative director. Um, yeah, I've been all sorts of different strategists. I've worked with analysts really closely. I've worked, you know, almost like hand in hand with you know, all sorts of external vendors. So that's kind of the reason I thought I'd be able to like, you know, jump into a, rec- a recruiting role and kind of like learn some of the recruiting side, but really be able to like, talk to people in a way that, you know, they resonated with because it's like, oh yeah, like I've done your job or I've worked really closely with people who've had your job. I know what you're looking for. I know what's important to you. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, and, you know, being able to continue to talk to creatives and stuff and kind of like getting their pulse on what's important to them, you know, of course is important to, um, you know, what, what I'm doing for clean creatives, because as we are talking to creatives and of course, you know, clean creatives, is not just for creatives, it's for everybody in advertising, um, you know, everybody from the analysts to the brand team to, um, you know, to the CFO, whoever it, whoever it may be. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, the more, the more we talk to people, I mean, I, this is, this is the strategy part of coming out. Like I've always enjoyed talking to people, whether it's, at a bar or on the airplane. Yep. I'm one of those airplane. <laughs> oh, you're that uh, guy. You know, I, you know, if you say, Hey, you know, listen to my podcast, I'm good. I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll leave you alone. But yeah. <laughs> I, I love, I love just getting out in the world and talking to people because I think that's how you get, you know, whether it's a, you know, a capital I insight, um, or if it's just, you know, insights into how people think and work and what they care about, like someone of a sidebar, but I, I love seeing, people kind of snark on or jump on these like ads um, that we see out in the world. And, you know, the whole kind of ad marketing Twitter kind of jumps on. It's like, oh yeah, this is terrible, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, guys, like no one, no one here is thinking, everyone here is thinking as a marketer, it's like this ad's not for you. This ad is for the general consumer. Some of whom might look at it for like half of a second and not even like fully internalize it. Yeah. They only registered the logo. Yeah. Like people... People like uh, yesterday were talking about this Amex subway ad and yeah, it's not a great ad. It's not perfect. I'm sure it could be done better, but I was like, for the average consumer who sees this in a subway, all they're going to see is, is be like, yep, that's me in you know, subconsciously and see the Amex logo. Yeah. And then, you know, three years from now, when they're looking for a new credit card, they're going to be like, oh yeah, I feel 
drawn to the Amex thing. I don't know why, but I, I think I'm going to go with that. And that's what advertising is. Everyone kind of is like focused on this like thing. It's like, yeah, but that's the consumer, the person who's walking by this, you know, in union stations and not like, that. yeah, no, we, we don't process information that way. They don't, the, nobody stopped and took a picture of it and marked it up on their phone. No consumer did anyway, but it sounds like a lot. Of, it sounds like a lot of marketing people did. Yeah. They, people have really strong visceral reactions. There's another one, like um, the Neutrogena ad, ad tagline it comes up every now and again. It's like, for people with skin and people just hate, hate that tagline. And I'm like, that communicates their tagline, their, their, their brand prop, like perfectly. It's like, that says it's for everybody. And it's not just something your mom uses. It's something that you could use whoever you are. Yeah. It's a re it's a repositioning line more than a positioning line. Right. It's saying they, they have research that says someone's buying it and they want more people to buy it. So let's, let's put this out in the market for a year and change that. Yeah. And it says, yeah, I don't know. For me, like that, I was like, this is perfect. And, you know, the name of the name of clean creatives does suggest a certain audience. Um, it's it tilts towards creative people, tilts towards creative professionals. But as you mentioned, obviously, everybody's invited to participate. Everybody's entitled to learn. Have you had to spend time explaining to people <laughs> like, no, it's really not just for creatives. It's just that's the name. And, and people, yeah. people get confused and hung up on weird stuff. Totally. And I mean, it, Yes. In a nutshell, yes. People do sometimes get hung up on it. Like, oh, like this isn't for me. Like I want to be part of it, but like, I can't cause I'm, you know, I'm on a junior account executive and it's like, no, it's, it's for everybody. I mean, this <laughs> also ties to another thing I have, which is, you know, some people, actually all people, it, this is like true of the general population. There are many people who don't view themselves as creative or an artist and they think, oh, that's something. And they, they kind of like, what's the opposite of giving, giving themselves permission. Like they kind of like stop themselves from being creative. It's like, Oh, like if I was a creative person, you know, I would think about this differently, but I'm not. So I'm going to approach it in a different way. But I think everybody is creative. Everybody is artistic. I mean, speaking more specifically to advertising, I've seen some of the best ideas for campaigns come from, you know, the account director, uh, our CFO at one of my agencies was insanely creative and he'd throw out these little like, Hey, I saw you guys working on this. Like, what have you thought about this? And it would like, crack the whole thing open so I, I think i think you know creatives obviously like the the quote-unquote creatives that you know the, the cds the 80s the cws um those people sometimes jealously guard their you know their domain but yeah. you know it in a truly a truly like truly the best work I've, I've done in agencies has been you know where they've invited the whole team to participate and yeah like creatives might take that and run with it or do something different but I've seen, you know, I, I've, I came up with a tagline for a, a QSR burger once, um, just kind of riffing in the room and they ended up running with that. And it was on a, you know, national TV campaign. And I was like, that was my line. That's so cool. Yeah. And I think it's weirdly think, fulfilling. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I think when people look at that, they're thinking, okay, it's not for me, but I think that's just indicative of, of our whole industry kind of trying to trying to put people in kind of like separate silos. And when I think, you know, the the best agencies and the best work kind of give everybody in the room, everybody in the building permission to be creative and, and to, to help in some way. And it, connecting that back to the, to the work you do at We Are Rosie, are you finding similarities between people that are opting into We Are Rosie's model of kind of decentralized work finding project-based work or working in a, uh, it's not a collective is not the right word, but, you know, working in a non-traditional agency format 
and people making choices like the choice offered on clean creatives to actually take more voice in what they work on, how they work. Is there a correlation there or is it just coincidence that you be, that you're on both of those things? Um, I think there's, there's certainly more of a correlation. I think, you know, there, there are a lot of things that are part of we are Rosie's mission, you know, more diversity, more equity, more inclusion, um, wider availability for people who have been somewhat pushed out of the workforce, um, like new parents, um, you know, where they, you know, oh, I can't go back to the office, but I could work four hours a day, you know, from home. Um, and I think there is, there is definitely a, an alignment between people who are kind of at this like forefront of like working in a new special way, kind of being more intentional versus like, you know, the, the stereotypical stereotype. There's, there's definitely a stereotype of people in advertising who kind of chase, you know, uh, working, working on work that can get awards or working at, you know, the most prestigious places or kind of like put some sort of premium on that, uh, in a, in a way that maybe disenfranchises them or dis, you know, it comes at a disadvantage to themselves that like maybe they're taking less money, but they're working at Biden and Kennedy. Maybe they're, you know, yeah, making good money, but they're, you know, working 90 hours a week, you know, every week and then 120 hours when it's a pitch, you know, like, and for me, like, yeah, I think there is certainly a thing where people are like, no, I, I want to be more intentional with the work I want to do. I want to work on these specific clients. So I want to, do these specific things, or I want to have a great work-life balance. Um, I think like the more that people are thinking about how they work, um, you know, kind of de- there's, there's a really big thing, kind of you know, part of the the great resignation and, you know, everything we've had to go through the last uh, few years with remote work and, and stuff where people are starting to decentralize working and their job from their lives and like, you know, finding, okay, like I can, I can have work-life balance. Maybe I make, a little bit less, but I'm working, you know, 30, 30 hours less a week, yeah. or I'm not commuting, you know, 10 hours a week. And, you know, I'm much more relaxed. I get to spend more time with my family or my kids or, you know, my hobbies or doing art for me. Like I love that I have so much extra time to do art and to travel uh, in a way that you know, just simply wouldn't have been possible with almost all of the, you know, quote unquote, full-time jobs I've had. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different mindset. Um, have you, besides the, the Edelman revelation that you revealed earlier, any major wins that you've, that you've seen or any change in attitudes overall since, since you joined up with clean creatives? Um, I think, I mean, I think that's obviously a big one. Um, that, that is we, definitely a big one. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely a big one. I think, you know, in this past year, and I don't know how much of it was, and I, I, I would be. I'm almost, I'm all but certain that it wasn't exclusively because of us, but I would, I'm just as certain that um, our, our, um, our presence was part of their calculus. Like all, almost all of the big um, holding companies have announced their own net sustainability or net, net zero um, type commitments. Yeah. Um, however, what they, they don't factor in for all the, <laughs> all the woe that they cause from promoting these right. brands. From the clients, I actually have a, a fun little stat here. I'm going to pull it up. Um, this is uh, for WPP, which I believe might have been the first um, of the holding groups to make. Did I? Oh, no, there it is. They might have been the first uh, of the holding groups to make a net zero uh, commitment. I think it was around Earth Day. Yeah, I think it was Earth Day this past year. 
Um, and they you know, put out videos and had all these things and had a live Zoom with a bunch of people and like a big press drive. Like they really like, you know, wrung out as much content uh, on this announcement as, as they could. Like all of their member agencies made announcements. I mean, you're talking like dozens of pieces of content. Um, but so we have the stat here. Um, if they, however, the BP is one of the WPP's clients, uh, or many agencies uh, within their um, holding company work on it. If they increase the sales of BP by just 0.3% in a year, it wipes out their entire pledge. And I would hope that so, as so if they're, good at their, if they're good at their job, right. it undoes everything they've just told us. Yeah, you would hope that if you're getting billions of dollars from a client, you're you're increasing their sales by more than 0.3% a year. But yeah, so that and that's and that holds true for our entire industry. You might, you know, there there was a an IHG agency. I don't know if I have this one written down, but an IHG agency uh, that worked on ConocoPhillips, and they they made a post saying, "Oh, we increased." I don't have the exact numbers, but basically the work they did for this one, this one agency, the work they did for one client from one post, we said, okay, well, that's pretty much 30% of IHG's entire um, carbon neutral pledge. It might've even been more than that, um, but it was, it was significant. And it's, yeah, that's, it's like, it doesn't matter what, you know, if you're greening your, um, if you're greening your productions, if you're using you know, paper straws and in, inside in paper cups inside your building. None of that matters if you're, you know, doing work on fossil fuels. I mean, like yeah. essentially fossil fuel companies are putting out 75% of the carbon pollution in the world. So it's just, it's such a massive problem that nothing else, no other effort comes close than just attacking that big one. Yeah. Me, me carting my bottles to the curb every, every week does not, is not putting a dent in it, but this, yeah. this, it seems like if we all align on this one thing, that's three quarters of the problem. We could, you we know, could probably. Not everyone knows this. Sorry, sorry to interrupt a little bit, but oh, um, good. The, the, the notion of a personal carbon blueprint was invented by Ogilvy. I did know this. Yeah. 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 It's it, it all meant to offload it onto me to, to make me feel like I have agency in this problem. And then exactly. it's the same thing with um, your protecting your identity and protecting your credit. Like, that should be the bank. The bank should be responsible for protecting my identity, but the bank and my software companies are just like, nah, it's your problem. We're offloading it. Now we're going to charge you actually to protect it. It's like, what are you, what are you even talking about? Yeah. How am I paying you to protect my identity? There's a, yeah, there's a reason I've, I've locked, locked my credit at all my credit score places because I, 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 I don't have time to monitor it. So it's just, yeah, no one can do anything. Nobody's going to do anything. For me to open up a new credit card, it's going to be a hassle. Part of the reason. <laughs> one one last question for you. Um, you mentioned earlier about this being a movement, and I I'm cynical about the idea of movements in marketing because you've been in agencies, and I'm not cynical about what you're doing. But I have worked on brands that sell products that are just inconsequential, and say them saying, "Well, we're trying to create a movement around this. You know, this this brand of shirt." Uh, not really, you know, nobody's really going to get excited about it. But in this case, yes, there's a movement to be made. How does that change the approach to language or the approach to the channels you pick or the approach to community? Or have you, have you thought through that? Yeah. Um, this is something that we're, we're working on. We, we've put out some 
tools and information for people to kind of get better educated. Again, I, I think a lot of people, I think most people, especially in our industry, uh, would exist kind of like at a level one, which is climate change is bad, but I don't, I don't really like know all the details and I don't really know my part in it. And I don't really have time to do anything, you know, outside of my own, you know, work family, um, life. And, but we do, we do see that, you know, as people start to move a little bit past that. And, you know, again, that's going to happen because climate change is in the news practically every day, you know, these days, um, people are starting to think, okay, well, this is, this isn't something that's going to be a problem for some indeterminate future time. This is something that's going to happen now. This is something, if I have kids, this is something that's going to impact their entire life. So people are starting to kind of think, okay, climate change is not just this bad thing that somebody else is going to have to deal with. It's something that I'm constantly thinking about. Like mm -hmm. climate anxiety is, is a thing that has really grown as, as a concept as people like have this general underlying anxiety about, yeah. holy shit, the world is fucked. Can yes. I say fucked? Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> this is really um, happening. This is really happening. Yeah. And then, so what, so what happens is though, people come across us and, and I've seen this conversation play out so many times and it, it mirrored my own is people come across us and they're like, oh my God, finally, someone's doing something about this. Like, how can I join? How can I help? Is there something I could do? Like, how can I get this started within my own agency? Um, but a lot of times those people, you know, feel like they're alone. They feel like I work at you know an office of 50 people and I think I'm the only one who cares about this. You know, I'm the only one, you know, in my mind, I'm the only one who, you know, goes to protest or, you know, reads about this stuff or thinks about it. And everyone else is just kind of living their happy life. Yeah. When in reality, in that 50 person office, it might be 10 or 15 people who all think the same thing. They all think no one else is thinking about this. It's just me. And I don't know who to talk to. Like everyone's talking about, you know, the latest succession episode at the water cooler, you know, or, you know, maybe, maybe not so much now because I'm not really in the office, but maybe, you know, everyone's talking about over Slack on Zoom or Slack. And I don't know how to be like, you know, really drag the whole thing down, but like, Hey, like uh, <laughs> climate change guys. What so are we so doing my backyard's on fire. Yeah. Right. Um, so what what we've what we've really been doing and trying to do, and we're going to continue to find new ways to do this, is put people together and, and give them ways to say to say, "Hey, yeah. I'm interested. I'm part of this. I'm interested in this," and to, to have put themselves out there and to find other people who think like them. And I think one of the at least for anxiety on the anxiety side, like to know you're not alone in thinking the way you think and and, and worrying about things you think has been such a relief for some people. People have just been excited to talk with other people. And sometimes, yeah, that person might work across the world or they might work in your same city or they might work in your same building. So I think that's going to be a big thing as we, you know, move, move through this, like, you know, process of still getting our name out there to people, like people who still can discover us. But then once they discover us, we want them to start working, with, whether inside their building or within the industry, or, you know, whatever it is, we want people to start, you know, being more participatory in our movement. Um, and whatever that that means, it could be, you know, posting a flyer at the office. It could be, you know, sharing some stuff on the, the company Slack channel, or it could be something more active, like, you know, taking some of the materials we have and putting together a deck and presenting it within their agency. Like, another thing we found is that, you know, mm. of course, climate, climate change, climate anxiety, generally, the younger you are, the more important that is to you the most impacting you the you know the longer of your life it's going to happen yeah. but what we've what we've found is there are actually a significant number of people 
at the very highest tiers of company. I mean, we've talked with global chief creative officers. We've talked with ECDs. We've talked with people who are, you know, the principal of their own agency. Um, so there are people at all reaches of the building who can be your allies. So, you know, we've had people who are like, well, I just started here. I'm a, you know, junior copywriter. And it's like, well, yeah, but do you know that, you know, the chief creative officer of your, your company is also a signer of our pledge, like, you know, like go talk to them, find, find ways to connect with them, you know, find other allies within the building or within yeah. the industry. Like there's so many different groups in our industry. And I think the, the pandemic has hastened the ability for us to connect digitally, whether it's, you know, like we're doing via zoom or, you know, via Slack groups or group messages or Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be to find people who are going your same direction that you vibe with on other levels, on a professional level and a creative level, but also like, Hey, like this is something that's important to me. And I'd like it to be, I hope that it's important for you too, because again, this is something that's happening to us right now. Yeah. That's awesome. That's, that's great background. Thank you so much, Joe, for making time. Uh, great to meet you and really interesting to hear about what you're, what you're creating there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. It's been been great chatting and I, I hope some people learned it. Anybody has any questions or wants to reach out or, or, or thinks that, again, that they might be alone, we'd love to chat with you. Please DM us or shoot, drop us an email. We have lots more information on our website, creatives.org. Okay. And where can people find you? Me? Uh, I'm at Joe Cocola on, on Twitter, J-O-E-C-A-C-O-L-A. Perfect. I will uh, link to both of those things, obviously, in the notes. Cool. Awesome. Great talking to you. Thanks, Adam. Have a great one. Strategy Inside Everything is produced by me, Adam Kierno. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps. If someone shared this with you and you're just not sure where you could find it, you can go to specific.substack.com and sign up there and get episodes before everybody else. For more information about me, Adam Pierno, you can go to adampierno.com. There's information about my books, my speaking, and my strategy work. Have an idea for a guest? Send it my way. Just go to adampierno.com and you'll find a form there that will help you connect. Thanks for listening. 